Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choice. That movie could be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. I am your host, Cynthia Lee. We actually don't have a special guest this week because last week she was our special guest. And then we were like, you know what? We like talking about film together. So why not just continue this thing going as a actual core group? So I guess I'll just say that they're my co-hosts. All Everyone's my co-host this week. So we got Stephanie Truong and Natalia Owen and Joel Garcia should be coming in soon, but he's late, but we're all in a really tight schedule. So he's just gonna drop in to this recording when he can. But Natalia and Stephanie are here. So Natalia and Stephanie, how are you guys doing this week? Good. Good. Yeah. Almost done with the quarter, which is weird, even though we like just restarted this podcast. So it's like <laughs> a little dissonance on that front. But yeah, three more weeks, three more weeks. I think so. I usually keep track of these things, but now it's getting like really daunting that I'm almost done with my college career. So yeah, I don't anymore. It's just all a blur at this point. But yeah, thanks to you two for coming out and recording this podcast. Off pod, we were talking about how hectic it was to get this one scheduled this week. A lot of things came up. Yeah, a lot of things came up that probably aren't important to anyone else but me. But (laughs) alas, they did come up. But this week, we are continuing our quest to understand, or at least my personal quest, to understand why, why Wes Anderson? What's up with Wes Anderson? Or for me, in a hopefully non-negative scope, why do his movies exist? (laughs) I'm not saying, I hope that doesn't come off as like very negative towards him. I just have a hard time understanding him. And so this week we chose a film that I think is his most culturally praised, his most well-claimed. Most critically acclaimed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel. It premiered in 2000. I have this 14 14 at Cannes, I believe. No. Oh, my God. It premiered at... I had this all ready to go, but I don't know where it premiered. Berlin. I was going to say that. Berlin International Film Festival. I was going to say that, but then I didn't want to assume so I had to scroll down the Wikipedia to just double check it was Berlin International because on the side it says like this is the day it premiered and it was like the first one was Berlin and I was like okay 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 I think it is the Berlin International Film Festival but I didn't want to generalize so had to make sure but yeah premiered 2014 at the Berlin International Film Festival as we mentioned it's his most critically acclaimed I think most people know him for this film. And considering that we watched Rushmore on, or for last week's pod, I think there's a huge difference in terms of how he's evolved as a filmmaker that we'll probably discuss later. But yeah, um, Stephanie, actually, I, you, I would say you picked this film. So yeah, I did. I, was, uh, I felt inspired because Rushmore was my first Wes Anderson, and I was like, well, while we're at it, I've wanted to see Grand Budapest for a long time, so let's do that. 
And we did. And I really liked it. I had such a good time. Like, I I went in knowing that it was going to be pretty and funny. Just because I had seen so many shots of it. Of this, like, gorgeous pastel pink that he's got going on. And I had such a good time. It was so funny. And I think, I guess difference-wise, I think Wes Anderson totally, like, leaned into the absurdity. Like, I, I feel like Grand Budapest is, like, more has more absurd elements than um, Rushmore did. And I think definitely Rushmore might have been a little more emotionally focused, I would say, perhaps. And it's like, neither neither is like a better choice than the other, but I did, I had such a good time watching Grand Budapest. It was just so funny. I think for me, like the funniest thing was just that all of the actors were speaking in their native accents. And we're in this like vague Eastern European location. And then you've got like Owen Wilson in his Southern drawl. And then Saoirse Ronan speaking in her Irish accent. And Ray Fiennes has got his British accent. And every there's just like no fucks were given. <laughs> it was so funny. And there are so many people in this movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's just the entire, I was watching the movie and I was just recognizing white men. It's basically what was happening. I was like, oh my God, is that Lucas Hedges on screen for like one minute as a gas station attendant? I just had such a good time. It was a funny movie and it was a pretty movie. Yeah, definitely. So I guess you already kind of mentioned why you picked it. You've always wanted to see it, right? Yeah, I mean, it is his most acclaimed so and it looks pretty. And I was like, I just want to see it. Yeah, got to continue the Wes Anderson trend that we're on right now and just barrel through. I feel like it's such an interesting, it's so interesting to kind of go from Rushmore to Grand Budapest Hotel, just because I think it's so jarring, in my opinion, to jump from the two. I enjoyed the film as well, but I think you mentioned that Rushmore is more emotionally focused. I a thousand percent agree. Emotionally focused, more emotionally grounded, more narratively grounded. It seemed like it knew what it wanted to be from the get-go. And I think on a visual standpoint, Grand Budapest Hotel knew what it wanted to be on the get-go. For me personally, the emotional kick doesn't happen until like the last 10 minutes of that movie. And then I was like, okay, I get everything that's going on where I felt like I felt that progression in Rushmore much more naturally. Like it was throughout where Grand Budapest Hotel, that emotional kick happened maybe in the last 10 minutes for me. And it was nice. It was a nice feeling to have, but definitely, yeah, I thought Rushmore was a little more grounded. I'm not quite sure it answers my question of why Wes Anderson. And maybe we can delve into that a little more as we keep talking about the movie. But yeah, how about you, Natalia? This is um, not your first time watching. No, this okay. is, I think it's my second time. And I remember it's weird. I already thought it was a lot longer than it is. It's only like an hour and 40 minutes. And oh, I, bless. Yes, bless again. Yeah. A good under two hour movie. It's just great. I know. I know. I remember, I thought I remembered it being like two and a half hours just because there's so much packed in. I definitely just, was expecting it to be like two and a half hours. I looked at the time, the runtime. I don't know. Is it one minute 40? I thought it was like one minute 50. I thought it was 30. Oh. I don't know. I remember it being 40, but I'm not sure. <laughs> 100 minutes. So it's an hour 40. An hour it's 40. 100 minutes? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Get to the <laughs> point. We love you, Wes. Yeah. And I would, I definitely agree. It's a 
very stark contrast between Rushmore, especially like, yeah, I'm just going to emphasize what you guys have already said about the moral. It's just for me, I think the moral in Grand Budapest Hotel was a lot weaker than the moral message in Rushmore, especially because you definitely felt, you know, moral progressions and character development throughout Rushmore. Whereas in the Grand Budapest Hotel, it was definitely kind of just characters in a storybook kind of doing their thing and like yeah you still had that emotional tie at the end where you know like Ray Fine stands up for zero or stuff like that but I I enjoyed it though it's great it's great to look at I love it (laughs) (laughs) it's like exemplify everything the abstractness of his cinematography the centered uh framing that he's just extremely well known for at this point I feel like the pastels the strange abstract land that's in reference to probably some real thing I mean we'll talk about this a little later but like the ongoing war motif that's going on that's kind of like an allusion to the world wars but yeah before we dive in too deep Stephanie since you picked this film do you want to give a little plot summary about what's going on okay so there's this hotel in a vague eastern european location and um, we're hearing isn't it called called the grand budapest no 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 the the land the countries like slovakia or something it has a name right it has a name but it's a fake name yes it is oh zubroka yeah yeah that um thought was slovakia i I don't i don't quote me on it i don't i'm pretty sure it's fake yeah, Zubroka is fi- a fictional European city, but when I googled it online, it's also a liquor. So, okay. so uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel is a, is about um, this hotel in the fictional city of Zubroska in Eastern Europe. And the movie is uh, basically a flashback about the owner and how he sort of finds his place at the hotel. And so it follows him. His name is Zero, played by Tony Revolia. Revolio? Revolia? I suck at name. Revolori? Revolori! Oh, that sounds much better, yeah. Played by Tony Revolori, and his mentor in the flashback is Ray Fiennes. And so they're like, um, I think... Tony's character's name's Zero, and he is a bellhop, and Ray Fiennes is his... Ray Fiennes is like a... I don't know what his actual position would be. He's (laughs) like the head of staff or something at the hotel. And basically, they go sort of on this wild goose chase after a series of events happen involving, like, you know, a, a disputed inheritance, a very rare and expensive painting, and a hitman. Several events um, cascade, and they sort of run all over the place, I think, and there's this fictional war going on outside that sort of creeps in on their existence and the grandeur and um, beauty of the hotel. And so that's just what the movie follows. And it's funny, and it's absurd, and there are so many people in this movie like every character is played by someone famous and i'm just like oh my god that's what it's about it's a fun story yeah so the inheritance problem is because of the death of tilda swinton's character what's her name i don't madam d madam d yeah yeah who had romantic affairs with monsieur gustave i'm trying to get again trying to be better at character names rather than saying actor names although i feel like in this film it's gonna be so hard because all of them are so well known it's kind of insane but yeah the death of fucking god i was gonna say tilda swinton again madam Madam (laughs) 
is the reason. Yeah. And as you said, it kind of follows these different vignettes of activities in which lead from one to the other, to the other, to the other. The whole structure of the film, I think is super interesting in terms of it's like kind of like a Russian doll story within a story within a story where it first starts out with the girl reading yeah. the book of the Grand Budapest Hotel. And then it goes into the author of the book. I forgot his name as well. Does he have a name? Does. Um, let's see. I'm looking at this cast list. Oh, no. He's just credited as author. Okay, good. I was like, I can't be this bad at names. Yeah. Um, author. And then he, and then it details how he learned about the story, which is an older zero telling the story of the existence of the Grand Budapest Hotel and how it became what it is. I just wanted to ask, I mean, it's not very typical that you start, you have a film that's structured story within a story within a story. what do you guys think about that? I thought it was a good, it was a nice intro into it. So you were kind of led into it. But honestly, by the end, I forgot that that's what, <laughs> that's that this world was a flashback. Um, so it was, they were nice kind of like bookends, but um, it wasn't too significant to the actual story, I think. But it was just another like aesthetic piece that was nice. Yeah, I'd agree. Like it, I wasn't thinking about it most of the time, but it fit with, I think, the vibe of the movie. Just like, hey, let's have this story within a story within a story. Why not? Mm -hmm. And then I imagine they had to introduce the hotel some way. They couldn't just like drop you into this hotel. Like you had to be at least. I wonder if it would have been more jarring if they did, because as we've already kind of mentioned, like this film is very, it's a, it's a taste. Uh, it's an acquired taste, I feel like. If you are not on the same wavelength as Wes Anderson and you just get dropped into this really neat, pastel, abstract, weird language, energy, strange energy. I can't even, des- I had a word describing it, but I can't think of it right now. But if you were just dropped in without the little story, would it be super jarring? I wonder. I feel like both all of us here watch quite a bit of movies and so it's not sometimes it's hard for me to differentiate and I'm not saying like I watch so many movies I know like like nothing scared nothing is strange to me anymore because that's not true this was pretty strange to me when I watched it the first time but like I guess Natalia you have seen way more Wes Anderson films you know more of his style what was like kind of your first impression when you were first delving in? Um, I mean, it kind of, I kind of remember my first impression by the second time, like last night when I was watching, I was kind of just waiting for this intro stuff to get over with Mm. to get to the actual story that I knew was coming. But I think the first time I watched it, I wasn't too surprised because the whole film really felt like a storybook. So it just felt like you were starting with this big picture and then getting down smaller and smaller into these separate stories, which I thought was effective but definitely something that I've never seen before in any other film besides Wes Anderson films. And I can't even say that he's used it in his other films. I mean, I've seen all of them except Bottle Rocket, and I'm pretty sure that Bottle Rocket didn't have the aesthetics of (laughs) Grand Budapest Hotel. So it's pretty new, but I don't think it was like disorienting or off-putting in any way. Yeah. 
I kind of, I think I only bring this up because I kind of found it fascinating with at least with the film that Wes Anderson films I've seen there's always this seemingly meta narrative of like control like a director's control and the stories we write and stuff like that just I think the way he made like I just can't get the idea of a dollhouse out of my head like an actual dollhouse out of my head anytime I watch his films and it's accentuated here yet again by just the framing and so when I mean I I felt pretty similar to you Natalia where like I kind of forgot that it was a story within a story until we like zoomed back out to the girl actually reading the book like I think I was always aware of the conversation happening but the second layer of the um of the story within the story with the story because they do cut back to that layer a bit inside the movie but they don't cut back to the girl who's reading the book near the locks until the very end again when the movie ends but I think I, I would I mean just along that meta narrative kind of theme I, I thought it might have been kind of an interesting I don't know if you guys thought about it or if you saw it this way but like this interesting kind of thing about how stories are told and like the different kind of liberties we go when it comes like when we share stories like layers within a layer within a layer you know kind of thing how they change or how they get framed or and stuff like that I don't know I I think I might be thinking too much about that just because we have no evidence in terms of like weird distortions in the story that she read versus what he was told or whatever or what he decided to omit and I think there is a line where when he talks about writing the book like I took it word for word or whatever but I was wondering if that kind of stuck or any that through line went through anyone's mind especially because yeah Wes Anderson I feel like is just really I find him that I think he's just really interested in kind of the idea of the creator and the storyteller. It is interesting. I didn't notice, but he does kind of like present three ways of telling a story right from the beginning. So you have her reading the book. So literary form and then kind of the oral form between um, the author and then the older, older zero. And then you have the visual form, which is kind of to the viewer, even though, you know, the entire thing is visual because it's film, but I hadn't thought about that before, but that's definitely interesting. And I would say he does that kind of theme or motif is pretty common throughout most of his movies. Like you get the sense that each scene is like a separate diorama or diorama, however you say it. Um, (laughs) And it's pretty controlled. I think I, I definitely didn't think about it very much. I know you were saying earlier that this film doesn't like some substance wise it doesn't focus very much emotionally on, it doesn't very focus very much on like emotional development or anything like that, not like Rushmore did. And even though there's like a little bit of it on the fringes, I honestly like was not paying very much attention to that. Like I wasn't, I didn't go into this film and I wasn't like, oh, I want some like deep revelation about my feelings and growing up. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a funny story and it's pretty. And it's so silly. And I I was like, I totally embraced that. And I had like, I didn't give a second thought to like storytelling or emotions or war even, which is maybe I'll give it a second watch and I will think about I those think things. You maybe, I, I want to talk about that little ongoing background thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. And I'm saying this as someone who's only seen two Wes Anderson <laughs> films, but I think the the whole story within a story just fits with it. Like it makes it 
seem like it's fantastical, like something that's been passed mm -hmm. around a whole bunch. And I think that fits with like the whole absurdist um, style of the movie and everything. Yeah, it definitely does. I don't know if you guys felt this, but like it definitely does make it seem smaller than it is. I always, I don't know. It might be because it's like pastel, like to a point where, so like you kind of, I want to say muted, but, and it's not feminine either, but maybe like softer in a way that feels intimate in a way, even though this film is probably like a huge production just to create the aesthetic in which he wants to go for. But um, kind of to add on or add on, yeah, add on <laughs> to what um, you were saying, Stephanie, I think that's the criticism that Wes Anderson probably faces throughout his whole career. And it's kind of the same thing that I get at with him is like, should we be taking his films to a deeper level? You know, I was, I think I saw someone write on Letterboxd kind of like, I mean, it's almost unfair to like, be like, I'm going into a movie and it needs to hit this emotional depth. It needs to explore like five different th themes, important themes at once, you know? It's unfair to almost say that, but I feel like it might be justified in this because of the weird ongoing war thing that's going on. That's like alluding to an actual real life tragedy because he does include it. And it's very obvious it's World War II and World War One because Eastern Europe coded in Eastern Europe, as Eastern Europe, the two train rides that are different enemies, um, the lining up of the generals. Um, so I feel like that criticism might not be more warranted to something like Rushmore, but I feel like we could, it would be fair to put that on Grand Budapest Hotel, um, just because it is alluding to something that was actually pretty tragic and real. I don't know about you guys in terms of that perception of Wes Anderson, especially with this film. Don't get me wrong, I really liked this film as well. I'm just trying to analyze and trying to figure out like Wes Anderson as a person in general. Yeah, it did definitely seem more like it served more as a historical context, kind of just like another back, like part of the landscape in the background, just to kind of situate you within the time period of the film and kind of the the atmosphere mm -hmm. but I don't know at the same time while it was pretty prevalent throughout the movie like you were just reminded that there was an ongoing war and that it was escalating especially by the end of the movie there wasn't a lot of time bent on the tragedy of that war like the war itself wasn't that important to the narrative of the story or the narrative of the movie so yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to say it was like an afterthought because obviously it wasn't, but it's definitely, I think, an afterthought for the viewer because you kind of just tie it to the characters and really it didn't affect the characters that much besides at the very end of the film when things were kind of just wrapping up. Mm -hmm. It's like a, I mean, if, and if we want to take this to the next level, I think the war is a nice like, and I, I would also say this about the, the every time we cut back to the, the author and Jude Law talking, the, Jude Law is the author, the author and old Zero talking in the hotel, but it's like a, I guess like a creeping sense of reality or, or the real world sort mm -hmm. of invading or like prodding at this story. Like it was very fantastic fantastical and I definitely think you could watch this movie and only I think you could watch this movie and not pay any real attention to the 
to the not fantastical parts and still have a good time. But with the extra like war stuff and then flashing back to like the color palette of the hotel in the present versus the hotel back then is like so different. And so flashing back to that every now and then and including the scenes with the soldiers and stuff is like, it gives you just like just enough bad real stuff to like unsettle you a tiny bit, I think. To keep it like grounded. Yeah. I mean, that's, that for me was like, that's what kicked for me at the end, you know, that kind of coming back into reality and seeing kind of like how isolated their problems were to the larger context of the world around them. And I forget what the, or like just Zero, old Zero saying how like his relationship with Gustav is not the reason why he keeps this hotel alive. Of course, I don't, the the reason he does give, I that was less affecting than him just saying that the hotel is not the reason, um, Gustav is not the reason why he keeps this hotel alive. I think for me was more of a draw outside of like just how isolated, yeah, again, isolated their situation was in comparison to the outside world. But I guess my question is, was it enough to kind of create that tone? And I, I think it does, but, and I think you guys agree too. With some flexibility, like, there's probably like a spectrum of acceptable, quote unquote, and Rushmore's at one end and Grim Budapest is on the other. And they're both good. Like, I wouldn't say Grim Budapest is a bad movie because those elements were like not done properly, but they're less there, much less than Rushmore. Hello, Joelle. Welcome to Hello. Um, We were just talking about how Grand Budapest Hotel utilizes this ongoing war backdrop and how if it's effective enough in terms of what it's trying to say um we had a conversation we were having a conversation about you know what when people criticize Wes Anderson they criticize him because they think that he's not exploring themes that are complex or grounded or in the real world and we were trying to figure out how the war backdrop fits in to that kind of narrative. Stephanie was mentioning how she kind of didn't really take that into account. And if that's, if we shouldn't be able to watch it and not take that into account, I suppose. No blast on you, Stephanie. Dropping you right in the deep end as you just dropped Um, in a minute. (laughs) You know, I, yeah, I don't think it is like, I think you can watch it without it being like super pivotal to like your, frame of thinking around the movie which i guess could be seen as a good or bad thing depending on your opinion of what Anderson is but i mean personally when i'm like going into watching one of his movies i'm not expecting like some fucking like schindler's list sort of like thematic element yeah. going on you know <laughs> like i i think they're whimsical in terms of like their creation and like you're gonna have punchy dialogue and like the characters are gonna be fun and like that's the time i'm expecting you know but But i guess my my question was more of Mm -hmm. like because he added that in can you expect warrant more of like an expectation to be a little more than just whimsical like you would want more out of wes anderson than being whimsical because he included something like that Maybe I feel we had this conversation before in a podcast. I'm pretty sure it's like what like constitutes a war movie, you know? Like if a war is like, 
I think so. Or like, it was like, if a war is like happening in the background, but it's only like that very lightly touched on, then like, should that be like the expectation of the film to be like this, like sort of like grand, like political think piece or something on it? And like, okay. I, forget, <laughs> I don't remember I forget, that. We definitely had this sort of conversation before, I'm pretty sure. I forget <laughs> for what, but yeah, I don't know. I think personally, you might be a little daft if you're going into it and then like seeing the war background and expecting there to be like this large commentary on like humans relationship politically, uh, like just because it's a Wes Anderson movie. Hmm. Yeah. But is that a pause? That is that positive? About I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. I don't know. Okay. I, <laughs> I might argue it's sort of a positive. I don't know. Because it's not like. It's like a trademark of at least his style now. I said this before Joel came in, but I was like, oh, I wasn't really thinking about like war and all of the like the deep thoughts or anything like that. I was just like, it's pretty and it's funny and I'm having a good time. And that was like more than enough for me to enjoy the movie. Maybe there's more and maybe there isn't or and that's good or bad, but I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, that definitely is interesting, though, because they're like is like lines that like mention sort of like colonialist attitudes and fascist attitudes. yeah yeah you fucking fascist like but i think it'd be one thing like if it like was like posing i mean obviously that's like an important subject but like it's not like historically based as far as i'm aware it's world war one and world war two right am i like hallucinating no that's what it seems like it's referring to yeah (laughs) i think it's set in the 1930s so but I don't, like, if it was, like, I mean, offensive, I, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong, but... But is there something wrong with using, like, war as just a backdrop for, like, a nice little, like, sort of, like, coming of age thing? I, I don't know. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I actually have no idea. It didn't bother me. <laughs> I think that, for me, is kind of the thing that I'm having a hard time grasping with this movie, I think. Because I think the war is like an attempt to ground it, but it doesn't work that well, in my opinion, in terms of grounding it. Like, as we already mentioned, like this movie is way less grounded than Rushmore, at least in our opinion, all of our opinions, if I remember correctly. I I also concur. Yeah, (laughs) I think I'm just trying to understand why he put the war backdrop in there, because it almost it it feels like it's a it's functioning as a way to ground the whole thing other than the story within the story structure and so i'm just trying to understand kind of more of its function and maybe wes anderson didn't really think about it at more of function foot i want to and so yeah <laughs> <laughs> just my existential quandary see there you go it's because you want to you know <laughs> That's true, maybe. Okay, since Joel, you are here, we can switch off to a much lighter topic than that. We already kind of talked about our first impressions about the movie. But what was your first impression? Was the, Did you rewatch this for this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you've seen but it before. I've seen it a bit. Okay. Because, okay. like, I've had friends, but like, so it's just a movie. You know, it seems like, you know, it's really aesthetically pleasing or whatever. But my first impression, I think this might have been the first Wes Anderson I ever saw. Oh, wow. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely, like, just dove into it. And I don't know. Like, like I had heard, like, the discourse, whatever, like, about, like, whatever. I just like the style. I think it's cool to look at. And, like, I don't know. I, I like it's symmetry. Good, it's it's a pleasing. Good, um, <laughs> gateway to the art house. We were kind of talking yeah. about that last night. 
mm-hmm. how we think lost in translation is a lot of people's gateway into the art house yeah do you think this movie can function as the gateway to the art house i'd say it's a little more distant i think it's light enough though like joke yeah comedy, comedic mm-hmm. enough where you know like you can hang on to the comedy mm-hmm. sorry i totally cut you off joel what were you going to say about it being distant like i feel like it feels a little more removed from like other art house stuff because i feel like you could watch this yeah i don't know like sure like his aesthetic is very much like in your face and stuff but like i feel like if you're a common movie goer or like even somebody who, like particularly like, likes movies but like isn't like diving into like the more like artsy side of it or whatever i guess you could say i'm not i feel like this could it just sort of depends on the person i guess for me is like if they are looking at it a certain way and like being but i think also like the plot itself is like light enough to where there's like more mass appeal so you know maybe yeah yeah how are you guys natalia stephanie what do you think about that i could definitely see it as serving that purpose i could also see it as turning a lot of people off just because it's i think if roma was on this pod he would be the biggest um naysayer about it i think he mentioned it last week that grand budapest kind of threw him off i believe he gave it a three and a half on letterboxd um i thought he really liked it Wait, who, what, Wait. who's the naysayer? Rohan. Rohan? Rohan. Are we sure? <laughs> yeah, I swear I saw that. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Ooh. Oh, huh. He's not here to defend himself. Yeah. Let's drag him. So now I feel like... <laughs> yeah, let's drag him. I like it a lot. But yeah, continue with your thought, Natalia. Sorry, I totally cut oh. <laughs> No, I was just saying... Um, I mean, that was pretty much my thought, just because it's it's such a specific style. It's a lot at once. It's not like, I mean, comparing it to Rushmore again, like Rushmore kind of eases you into it, where you still kind of get elements of that very specific aesthetic style that's a lot more artsy than other films, but you still kind of have the narrative pretty much fueling the movie onward. Whereas in the Grand Budapest, it's pretty much the main thing that you're going in for is the style. And if you're not ready for that, or you're not wanting that, then um, it might hit you the wrong way, but... How about you, Stephanie? Well, I don't have anything new to say. <laughs> it's just, I just, I like the movie because it was funny and it was pretty. And that's all, you know? I mean, one thing Can't I that be enough? loved about this film is Ralph Fiennes. Fiennes? Fiennes? Mm-hmm. Fiennes? Ray. Fiennes? Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Not Fiennes. Wow. wow. Ralph is someone Ralph else. is great. <laughs> Ray Fiennes. Good God. But I loved him. I thought he was fantastic. I think he brings a certain, not idiocy, but there's, he's not stupid. But like the the aura in which he has seems to be very, maybe una- not unaware either, but. He has a really strong conviction about himself, no matter what, you know. Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of words to whether do. it's reckless or stupid you know he's always very sure of himself a hundred percent all the time he's extra he like reminded me of paddington <laughs> if that's a weird comp like i felt like he had the energy of paddington where like it seems like he's always trying to do the right thing and it's always with this light british touch to it but at the same time he's also kind of unknowable 
in a way, especially with his like mysterious dealings with various older blonde women. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just really, really enjoyed the performance in just terms of like, I think he provides an interesting depth into kind of this idea of loneliness in a way and a compensation of loneliness and it really fuels the friendship kind of themes that's going on with this film which I very much like at the end of watching this film I was like yay for friendship like that was like the most coherent thing I could say at the end but I think there's something super interesting about like both him and Zero occupying that quarters alone and then being able to find each other through the dealings at the Grand Budapest Hotel. And I think just Mr. Fine's um, performance in that and kind of depicting that loneliness with like a sweetness and an empathy and a humanity that I think is always inherent. Like the sweetness is always inherent in Wes Anderson's films, but I think it just gets exemplified by his performance. What everyone else think? I don't think he got nominated for an. Did he get nominated for an Oscar for this? No. 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 Yeah. Oh. No. Sometimes my <laughs> microphone doesn't work. <laughs> well, that's an injustice. Yeah. Well, yeah. No. What do you guys? Sorry. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, his character is just fantastic, and I think. No, there definitely is something to be said about that, like loneliness of like both of their characters of Zero and then or Montour could stop and then Zero eventually. Yeah, so I guess like the contrast between I think we were like we already talked about quite a bit about like Wes Anderson and aesthetic that him and go in hand in hand. But I think the contrast in which like he depicts that small isolated like bunker space, essentially, it feels like a bunker. It doesn't have a bathroom, right? Is that what or a shower? Is that what they said Something in the like beginning? That. Yeah. Yeah. It's so drab. It's brown. It's dark. And then you compare it to kind of the frothy pink largeness of the Grand Budapest Hotel and the outside world of Zabroka. I think <laughs> plays really well into kind of juxtaposing that kind of loneliness and then the friendship in the space in the large space that forms between Zero and Mr. Gustave or Monsieur Gustave. Yeah, because I think like pretty much like the central like takeaway from like almost every Wes Anderson movie I've seen is just that like yeah like having friends and people that you love is really nice to have you know step I don't yeah there's probably not a lot to speak of in terms of like the war aspect of this movie we're over this but yeah but (laughs) what I'm saying is that like I think centrally yeah like it these movies are about like you know interpersonal relationships even if like I don't know, it's not like your typical, like, deep way of going into it, I guess you could say. It's another older man, younger man relationship. Of course, the age gap, I think, is much smaller. Um, Yeah. Yeah, not much, probably. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just realized that. It is another older man, younger man. (laughs) Yeah, it is an interesting dynamic just to have that kind of older character and then his sort of protege. And then through his relationship with his protege, he can kind of reflect on himself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um as well as the protege but I think to a greater extent it's the older character kind of having some sort of revelation about his himself through his friendship with the younger character but yeah it seems to be a common theme like once again granting a lot of agency to kids and then their importance to the world you know 
I well, I was thinking about <laughs> since we've been talking about it, like Zero's backstory. There's like that one scene where Ray finds M. Gustave gets mad at Zero, but there's that scene where uh, Monsieur Gustave gets angry at Zero. I think for not bringing his perfume to break him out of jail. <laughs> and then since we were talking about, but he's all like, he. I think he says some pretty nasty things to him, like, "What are you? You're a horrible immigrant." And then. Um, Zero is like, blah, 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 I was running from the war, my parents died, my mom died, my pa- my dad died, and I barely escaped, yada, yada. And then Monsieur Gustave is like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. So, like, I guess that, that fits what you were saying, as in, you think that, you think Monsieur Gustave was made better by his relationship with Zero, and I think that's true. But overall, just like the found father, found son relationship is good. And when Monsieur Gustave is, like, interrogating Agatha... Oh, yeah. Like, found father quality. That was funny. I didn't want to bring up... Do I want to bring this up? Do we want to keep the pod going light and not this direction? Am I going to do... What do you make of, like, the immigrant status thing? Like, he gets in trouble both times because he's an immigrant in a white dominant film. (laughs) Yeah, it is a little white savory, you know? For sure. Like how Monsieur Gustav dies and like sort of takes him under his wing and then like dies protecting him. He's like, that's my lobby boy. <laughs> but then again, like it's not really like horribly expanded upon. Like it's sort of just in the background and then it's just happening. Not sure. Is it white savory? I'm not sure if I agree with that. Okay, why? I don't know. I feel like if it was, it would have shown Monsieur Gustave and like in my mind, at least Zero and Monsieur Gustave were equals in the film. Like they both had their own winding narratives, but they were, it didn't feel like to me that the film like favored one or shown more importance to one over the other. If anything, like, just quickly add, like, if anything, Gustav was, like, portrayed in a little bit of a pathetic light, at least that's how I saw it, kind of near the end where his death was kind of just like, oh, yeah, and he got shot after. Mm-hmm. And with the storybook Russian doll stuff, it's like, this is clearly Zero's story, and I think it stays that way. There's no, I don't think there's an imbalance of representation or, or char- literary power to either one. The only reason why I brought it up was just, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily see it as a wife savior. Sorry, Joel. Um, but I think it is a thing that is brought up about his immigrant status. And I guess it's the same thing. I think probably I have issue with the war. It's like, can you just put it in the background? You know, especially because another thing about Wes Anderson films, very dominantly white but I don't necessarily see that as a criticize him for that necessarily. But it is of to note if you are going to bring in even like a dropling of he's an immigrant and it's actually why he got in trouble at the train stations because he doesn't have the right passport visa identity. I don't know what, what they were looking for. So yeah, I just I just wanted to wonder about it. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just... I wasn't saying like the whole movie feels like white saviory because like it's just not that political enough for me to even like yeah consider that just like that the train scene like just the first one really if anything but yeah I know again it is sort of like peculiar yeah I feel like is warrant of questioning Mm -hmm. or at least like a little bit more expansion 
or maybe like somebody else who's of color. <laughs> but Stephanie, you mentioned how there's like a bunch of bunch of actors and characters in in this film that you very much enjoyed kind of like playing the who's who guessing game. What's what's that one board game where you have to like figure out who Oh. Guess who? Yeah, is that it? It was like a guess oh. who of white men. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had fun. Like, you know, go off Wes Anderson. I'm not mad or anything. It's it's not diverse, but I had a good time. I, I'm I wasn't gonna criticize that. I was okay, gonna Okay, <laughs> I didn't know where I didn't know what direction you were going. <laughs> I was going and I feel like I was gonna go for in a more positive questioning. Okay. Forget I said <laughs> I don't want, I like the film. I'm going to like reiterate that. Like I like it. I just, in my quest to understand Wes Anderson, these things I feel like need to be popped up. But I guess in a more positive, like who's your favorite character? There's so many. We got it. We got to go through them. I felt like Adrian Brody and Willem Dafoe could have had more screen time, especially Adrian Brody, but because Willem Dafoe got a lot, but <laughs> they were just great. Oh I think, oh, go. Oh, I love Sosha as a default. Like that one shot of her. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, the I would marry child. her. Hand in marriage. Sorsha, if you're listening, I'll marry you. <laughs> um, I do. I think I would agree. I think Willem Dafoe was really funny. Like when he chucks the cat out the window. Oh, yeah. Is that my cat? <laughs> I was gonna... One thing that was like, kind of had me on the edge of the seat and I was like, oh, it made me kind of gasp a little was involving both Sersha and Willem. So I think it's a perfect, hopefully, at least, oh, um, yeah. talk about description. It's that one scene where Saoirse's packing for the, hold on, I'm going to do names correct again. Agatha. Agatha. Packing to, after Zero has said, oh, like, um, we mailed Agatha to come and meet us at whatever place, whatever place. At the observatory, I think. I don't know. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And then she like pops out of the little window on her roof to like, because she suspects that someone might be after her. And then they cut to the pl- Edward Norton being like, yeah, so some girl just died. And I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> Did they yeah. really? And it, because I think the, the scene preceding it was like Willem Dafoe killing yes, Jeff sir. Goldblum. Um, his oh, fingers yeah yeah his that was like, like i didn't like that one yeah <laughs> I, that was so like that was, like, was jarring that yeah. scene yeah. where the fingers that was jarring that was like did not i mean intentionally so and it like worked but i was like this is supposed to be like a candies and lollipops film <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally made me scream oh fuck <laughs> and you could see his fingers like fall off i was like oh they really okay yeah jelly beans i will also say i think edward norton was also i mean this just plays into how i just thought it was hilarious that all the actors were speaking in their natural accents native accents and so like the first time they get stopped on the train and edward norton is like i guess i sort of just in my head assumed all the soldiers were russian or some allegory of Russia, because Russia is usually putting some kind of unofficial pressure on a lot of the Eastern European countries, politic- sociopolitically and stuff. And so um, I was totally, this was early on in the film when I was like expecting things, not expecting how varied the accents were. And so he just walks in, he's, he's, he speaks to Ray Fiennes, and I was expecting a Russian accent, and he just spoke in a flat American accent, American somewhere in America, American accent. 
and I laughed really hard and I don't know and he has like a little funny mustache and everything he's good I think I was just so struck that Edward Norton is doing this because my persona of him is like hard ass like control freak who's like American X or whatever um fight club oh god yeah yeah apparently just like incredible incredibly just a big control freak and so to, to watch him kind of play ball in this was oh, fascinating. We gotta, we gotta watch Moonrise Kingdom next because he's just a oh, yeah. I counselor. He probably has that same persona in Moonrise Kingdom but at least and it'll probably still be the same thing I'm like this is so fascinating because like my persona of you is just hard ass. Like Yeah my thing with him is just he like plays those roles but like he just doesn't look like yeah. the kind of person. <laughs> yeah. like, like he looks like he should be playing weird Russian police officer who kind of looks like a wimp and is like yeah or like so, yeah like some geeky off. looking role yeah. or something like but yeah favorite characters? I also, anybody favorite character. I also think Adrian Brody's character should have got a little more screen time you know like every single time he was on screen like he's just such an asshole it was great that scene <laughs> where he follows or Agnita in the elevator and then down the hall. Oh, yeah. That was probably one of my favorite scenes <laughs> of the entire movie. Like, just the way that they costumed him, he looks like a cubist, <laughs> frazzled painter or something. Like, no yeah. goth vibes. Yeah. Also, like, spoke in a. Who is he American or is he British? I think he's like, American. He's American. Yeah. He spoke yeah. in, a, I think, an American accent. He that spoke was- in like a deeply like new york american american something like that. i don't have my american accents amusing and just like like really preppy kind of ignorant yeah just self-entitled yeah yeah, i guess in comparison to ray fines who has like kind of this frosty british accent that i found (laughs) extraordinarily like comforting and amusing and fun it was so funny (laughs) Yeah, and then of course Monsieur Gustave is just—I think he's an incredible character. Oh, I mean, yeah, I love that. Yeah, character. I think. So. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think other than Gustave, I was very amused by the ring of concierges, especially. Oh Bill yeah, Murray. Bill Murray. I was like, yeah. he popped up, and I was, I was like, so happy. Yeah, when I first saw the movie, I was like, Oh, Wilson. Wait, what? The continuation <laughs> of the call. I was like, when the hell is he just Yeah, right. I was so amused by how they like how all of them have their own lobby boy, and then it's like they uh-huh. get the, the lobby boy take over the for call, me, and then they're like, take over for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so funny. Harvey Keitel's character also. Oh also yeah. yeah. He another another like fascinating like character difference <laughs> yeah, the right. persona I have of you being in like literally every Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> Well, he's still kind of hard, you know, like he's in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Who else? Who else do we got? I'm always down for some more Jude Jude Law on screen, you know, but I mean, it's we really wouldn't have like worked too well, I don't think. But I mean, Hilda Swinton like brought the energy in which like she is known for into that role, even though I think it was like exemplified. Like that was the only time where I was like, this makeup could work could use some work she was hella chalky (laughs) in a way that like felt it was probably done on purpose to be kind of like yeah it looks like she'd been dead for yeah (laughs) 
another funny moment. This isn't a character, but I'm thinking about when they stole the painting and then they replaced it with that painting of the two oh, women yeah. fingering each other. <laughs> and then no one noticed it. Yeah. Until Adrian Brody, they until it was brought up and they were like, oh shit, the painting's been stolen. This is probably super stupid, Bob. But like the the name the name of the painting, boy boy, boy with, with apple. apple. It like I don't know why it just feels like it rolls down the like out the tongue like just in a very amusing and comical way. Boy with apple, like the way they always say it. I don't know why. I may be hallucinating on that one, but every time they said boy with apple, like I, I chuckled a bit. It just seems. I mean, it seems like a perfectly normal title for a painting, but it also seems so kind of absurd and like wow, it's just a boy with an apple. I mean, it was a real painting. You know, like it was commissioned. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the Guardian wrote a full-length analysis of the portrait alone. Really? Yeah, it has its own Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, they said, Boy with Apple really is priceless as an art history in joke. <laughs> Year 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like so, uh, I'm looking at the picture right now. It's just so pretentious looking. He's like holding yeah, right. Apple like. Yeah, know, what? This is like, a boom podcast medium but like he's like gingerly holding the apple on its stem and his yeah it modeled after i had read somewhere that it was like i might be wrong it just says on the at least on the wikipedia it's just like he asked the painting to be kind of along the line of works of like different flemish and dutch painters of the renaissance era yeah there isn't it's i uh, i don't see I don't see like any real life reference point other than the Renaissance. <laughs> boy with Apple was contingent on the description of a blonde hair boy with the slender athletic frame of a ballet dancer. Solid painting, nonetheless. Strange Nina. painting. I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't think I would want, I mean, then again, I'm not a big portrait person, at least as a decorative item in someone's house. I find it kind of crazy. I don't like eyes. Huh? I don't like eyes following me around. Yeah. Know? The eyes on it are like kind of weird in my opinion. <laughs> they feel like, have you seen that movie Big Eyes with Amy Adams? It kind of has that energy and <laughs> I find that extremely off-putting. <laughs> personal taste. Personal taste in art. I can't even... I definitely will not. I am not an expert at art whatsoever, so cannot say. I also want to acknowledge, like, the music for this film. Oh, the oh yeah. Specially oh, composed, so yeah. Good. Yeah, agreed. Oh, continue what you wanted to say, Natalie. Sorry. No, no, that's it. I just wanted to, like, shout it out that it basically, oh, it I don't know, for me, it made it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, like, folky, European folky. It's mm-hmm. definitely like Eastern European folky, yeah. Yeah. But with like an awesome orchestra to like give it weight. It's great. I yeah, I I really like the spots where composer of um Twilight New Moon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um no. Um, I think he like directed not directed, composed like a lot of Anderson stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did Fantastic Mr. Fox too, I think. Mm, to double check, but but yeah, agreed. Extremely good score yeah as you said it really drives the film and I think it also kind of emphasizes kind of the sweetness of Wes Anderson's aesthetic as well it kind of helps reiterate the tone even though I don't think it needs any more reiterating at least on a but on an audio level you know 
I think that's kind of what makes movies special. It's like visual and audio, right? So you get the whole in-person experience. In-person? No, that's not that. Are you a visual? Sensorial, sensor, sensory experience. There we go. We're, yeah, there you go. I, I just had to try them out. Words. Outside my mouth. They're out there. They're out there. I don't have, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's how I write papers where it's like, I think this is a word. And then I like Google it and I'm like, mm, okay. Like, like I have mm, to synonym. type out the word. <laughs> and then if my like eyes, like that doesn't look right. And then goes on Google and makes sure it's a right word. Like, I feel like I add like ness after everything, like complicatedness. It's like, is that a word? And then I have to like <laughs> type it out. But yeah, great score. Uh, what else do we want to say about this film? We're almost at 5.30, so that is... Pretty. It's funny. It sounds good. Go watch it. <laughs> is it pretty Criterion now? Is it on Criterion? Well, it has a Criterion. Stephanie, that can be your first Criterion purchase. Once I start, I cannot stop. Oh, right. It is dangerous. It's it quite the slippery exactly. slope. Yeah, yeah. Maybe after I graduate college. I also don't have a DVD player. I just, I was just scrolling through some notes that I took. I forgot. I want to get your opinion. At least, was I hallucinating that the framing was changing? I remember seeing the weird aspect ratio at the beginning. I think it does change. Yeah. Accepting it. I don't remember it changing, but it might. Like throughout the film, I remember it changing in the beginning and the end when it goes back to her reading. It does shift. Yeah. Okay. I, yes, it is marked. Those notes are marked at the very top. So it might have, I might have noticed it immediately. Like, and that's when they do the most time jumping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to get that out there. I just wanted to make sure I was not, again, hallucinating or remembering things wrong in just general. But yeah, I mean, it has a lot of the features that I think people would associate with Wes Anderson films. I could go on and on about how he frames it to be a dollhouse. I'm like kind of very intrigued by that concept in general. I would need to watch more Wes Anderson films, but at least the three I've seen, it's been there in all three of them. Uh, Yeah, what else do we have to say about... I like it quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good time. I mean, yeah, I I liked it too, as much as like, I feel like I had complicated feelings at the beginning. I'm not quite sure if it uh, answers my question of like, why, why? Yeah, just why? Why he exists still? Yeah, I still don't. The journey continues, you know? Yeah, the journey does continue. I think Royal Tenenbaums and like Moonrise Kingdom are like pretty closer to an answer, in my opinion. I'm yeah. sorry if I'm offending so we anyone can, we, with that. No, statement. No. I just really want to. I I mean, I feel like every director I want to understand, but for some reason, Wes Anderson is someone I just have a hard time understanding, even though I actively enjoy all his films. You said we That's weren't me. going to turn this into a Wes Anderson podcast are we just gonna turn it sounds like we're going to podcast i mean it's kind of nice to like pop in a wes anderson after having to like watch incredibly slow films for other classes although i think i don't have any more films to watch for film class anymore so maybe not anymore but we probably shouldn't make this a wes anderson podcast but i do think it would be a nice rounding out if we did royal tenenbaums because that's do i 
because like okay. it's like it's like Rushmore's groundedness but then you know like he's more like polishing his style still so it's like closer to you know it could also help me explain more of the Owen Wilson Wes Anderson thing yeah because Owen Wilson and Tim Wilson they're like pretty they're close is to he a ten right? is yeah. he a Tenenbaum uh he's like on the periphery he's not a yeah. Tenenbaum but he's no. like but Luke Wilson I mean you'll gain just so he's, much respect for Luke Wilson and yeah he goes yeah he's great yeah so and again Elliot Smith needle drop you know oh, yeah so hey hey okay then I guess we have to round out we'll do a trilogy we'll we'll do so we have Rushmore that should be coming out we are recording this on a day it should be out before you hear this one actually the top <laughs> the top 10 of 2020 is out I just have to make a post about it but it is on our feed, yeah. So you can listen to it right now if you're, you know, an avid follower of the UW Film Club podcast, as you should be. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tell your yeah, grandma, you know. Next week, we're going to be rounding out with Royal Tenenbaums. If you guys are down to do another recording. And down. We can, we can figure out a scheduling um, off pod. Um, <laughs> cool. But yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel, Wes Anderson, great film, great cinematography, great soundtrack, great acting, fun, light, comedic dialogue, sharp, witty dialogue that just makes, I think Wes Anderson, the effect that he has on me is like a chuckle through the nose, like a, like a, not a (laughs) snort, like a sniff (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) Are you scrolling Um, Twitter and something funny pops up sort of deal? Yeah, 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 (laughs) that kind of, um, which is a feeling I enjoy yeah it's a bit of serotonin (laughs) you know yeah yeah it's good serotonin for the week especially as we go through this just incredibly long pandemic almost at the end of the tunnel you know it's it's all good good. but yeah i know stephanie big fan of it you gave it a five on letterboxd and i was like wow wow it broke through and natalia big fan yes yeah yeah and joel big fan yeah yeah big fan all right cool thanks you guys so much for listening listening us to ramble about wes anderson grand budapest hotel kind of talked about it like two minutes ago but next week we'll be at we actually have a film that we're gonna (laughs) talk about um that i can say on this podcast um we're gonna be talking about um, wes anderson's royal tenenbaums hopefully answering my question of why wes anderson question mark but yeah other than that you can find uh if you want more information about UW Film Club in general or want or the podcasts um as well you can check us out on Facebook at Film Club UW and then um our Instagram and Twitter uh UW Film Club darn the people who have taken Film Club UW on Instagram and Twitter I will not pay for you to get that handle back TBH (laughs) just makes my life a little harder with this outro um, and then you can find more podcasts that should be coming out weekly, um, hopefully, um, on iTunes, or I guess now it's Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google oh, yeah. Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And yeah, thanks. Yeah. So next week, we'll be uh, talking about Royal Tenenbaums. But until then, um, talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.